0: in Revelation tonight, kinda of like I did this morning. Uh but tonight what I want to do You have those times to where you're like, you know what, I got I got nothing else left to give. I'm I'm done. You ever felt that way? Or is it just preachers that get that way? Uh, some preachers don't admit it. They got too much pride to admit that. But the fact is we all get that way from time to time. And I was doing some reading, doing some studying and 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 uh, thinking about all that's going on in the world around us today, and we talked a little bit about that this morning. And God kind of spoke to my heart and I, I turned to a familiar passage that I've read many times in the book of Psalms. And and so I want to use that tonight. And what I want to do tonight, I, I want to just talk about how great our God is, about how awesome. Our God is. And I can think of no better place to do that than Psalm 139. So if you'll turn there with me, and you'll, you'll probably, if you take notes in your Bible, you see what I preached there before. I'm sure I have over the years that I've been here. I'm, I'm fairly certain I have, because it's one of my favorite passages. And I know you're probably thinking, preacher, you say that about a lot of passages. Well, you know, when you've been studying and preaching and reading God's Word, Pretty solid for about 30 years, you get a lot of favorite passages. <clears throat> now, by, I, I want to have a word of prayer, then I'll, by way of introduction, I'm going to tell you a story. I, I think I've shared this with you before, but let's let's pray and then we'll get started. tonight. Father, thank you that we once again have this opportunity to come together uh, to study your word, to hear what it is you would say to us. I thank you for that privilege, and I, I pray we would not take that for granted. And, Father, as uh, in the near future the time may come where uh, we cannot gather together like this, that's okay because this is not the church. We're the church. And we realize that wherever two or more of us are gathered together, you're there with us. So, Father, I, I pray that while we still have this privilege and the freedom to do so, that we would uh, be grateful for it and we would take advantage of it. I pray that we will... Uh, Have a hunger for your word. Show us tonight, Father, that no matter what happens in this world, around this globe, that does not change the fact of who you are. That does not change the fact that nothing takes you by surprise. Father, we love you. We thank you again for this time. In Christ's name, amen. I used to tell a story uh, about a book. It was written back in the 90s. It was written by Robert Wells. And it was a book entitled, Is a Blue Whale the Biggest Thing There Is? And it's a children's book. I like children's books. Do you like children's books? Some of them are pretty informative. And I'm like, if they'd have had this when I was younger, I would have listened more in school if they'd had something like that. But the books in the Blue Whale, the biggest thing there is. And it's a children's book that helps little ones. Understand or get a kind of get a little bit of grasp just how big the universe really is. And it says something like this: says the largest animal on earth is a blue whale. Just the flippers on its tail is bigger than most animals on earth. But a blue whale isn't anywhere near as big as a mountain. If you could put a hundred blue whales into a great big huge jar, you could put a million of those jars, those whale jars, inside of a hollowed out Mount Everest. But Mount Everest isn't anywhere as big as the earth. If you stacked 100 Mount Everest on top of one another, it would just be a little whisker on the face of the earth. The earth isn't anywhere as big as the sun. You could fit one million earths inside the sun, but the sun isn't anywhere near as big as a red supergiant star called Antares. You could put 50 million of our suns, inside Antares. But Antares isn't anywhere near as big as the Milky Way galaxy. Billions of stars, including superstars like Antares, make up the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy isn't anywhere near as big as the universe. There are billions of other galaxies in the universe, yet filled with billions of galaxies, the universe is almost totally empty. And the very distance from one galaxy to another are beyond human calculation. Now, folks, we're told in this psalm that we're going to look at tonight, we're told about the one who created all that, who spoke all that into existence and who sustains all that by his power. Listen to me. The only thing, the only thing that even comes close and does justice to the greatness of God is God himself, because there's nothing you can point to and say God is like God is the great unlike. There is no no being like God. He is the one and only. He is the sovereign. He is God, the creator, the sustainer, the completer of the universe. And that's who we're going to talk about tonight in this psalm that we're looking at. One of the reasons, it's one of my favorites. It tells us more about God than practically anywhere else in all the Bible. And it tells us just exactly how great, how truly great our God really is. Now David, first off, he tells us that God... Now let me say this before I go any further. I want to make this more personal to you tonight, okay? Because David, believe it or not, this psalm was personal to David. And the first thing David does, he talks about the omniscience of God. And basically says that God is omniscient because He knows me. Now I want you to understand something. This great God that created all there is, He knows you. He knows everything about you. Now, the word omniscient, you know what that means. It comes from two Latin words, omni, meaning all, and uh, santia, which means knowing or to know. It literally means all knowing. God knows everything about everything and everyone, and he knows it all the time. There's nothing that escapes God's knowledge. Have you ever been around somebody uh, who acted like a know-it-all? Been around people like that? Well, here's the thing, folks. God is really the know-it-all. He don't have to act. He's the one that knows everything about everything. First John 3.20 says, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. The fact is, you can't tell God anything because He already knows it. Understand, this knowledge that I'm talking about, about God uh, knowing all things, it's not just intellectual knowledge. Let me reiterate this. It is a personal knowledge. And I want you to grasp this. God Because he is omniscient, folks, knows you, knows all about you, knows everything about you, uh, knows your thoughts, your dreams, your joys, your heartaches, your hurts, knows what you're going through right now. Now, nobody knows you better than God. That may be a frightening thought to you. Sometimes I sit back and think about that and think, you know, well, nobody knows this, that that I have this fear, I have this, that. Well, God knows it. God knows all about everything and all about us. How would you like to be around somebody that knows everything about you all the time? If I got news for you, you are. i reminded of a story. I think, I don't know if i told you this or not before. It was in a, a small town, and uh, there was a court going on. And the prosecuting attorney, it was his first case, and uh, he called the lady in town, who, who an elderly woman, as his first witness, uh, who had lived in that town her whole life, and she happened to be the worst gossip in town. He called her to the stand, and and like I say, it was his first case, and he said, Miss Jones, do you know me? She looked at him and said, well, yes, Mr. Williams, I know you. I've known you ever since you was a little boy. He smiled real big until she said, and I'll be honest with you, you're a big disappointment to me. You lie (laughs) You cheat on your wife. You manipulate people. You talk about people behind the back. You charge way too much money for your services. You don't have brains to realize you ain't never going to amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. Well, this young attorney was shocked. Not knowing what to do to shift focus off him, he pointed at the defense attorney. He said, "Miss Jones, do you know the defense attorney? She said, well, of course I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a little boy, too. I used to babysit him. For his parents, she said, and I'm going to tell you, he's been a tremendous disappointment. He's lazy. He's a drunkard. He cheated his way through law school. He can't get any decent woman to look at him, much less marry him. And he's one of the most crooked lawyers in the state. Yeah, I know him. About that time, the judge's gavel come down. He said, silence in the courtroom. Then he pointed to the two lawyers. He said, counsels, approach the bench. They walked up, and that judge, in a quiet voice, but was still in it, and heat in his eyes, leaned across that bench. He said, I'm going to tell you right now, either one of you two knuckleheads, ask her if she knows me. I'm putting you both in jail. <laughs> well, friend, listen to me. God knows you. He knows me. He knows all about us. He knows what you are. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 139. He says, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. That Hebrew word for search, that literally means to pierce through or to dig through. In other words, God sees right through us. He's got the x-ray vision uh, it can pierce the hardest heart. God's vision—it gets down in the very core of your soul. You know, down to the bottom of your heart, where you don't think anybody knows about, where only you and God know about. He sees where you're clean, where you're dirty, where you're right, where you're wrong. He sees where you're good, where you're bad. He sees and knows that about every person. But I want you to look at verse two. God also knows what you think. Look at verse two. It says, "You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar." God sees our thoughts. They're flashing uh, before God like on a movie screen, I guess you say. God sees it in living color. God can read your mind just as easy as you and I might read the, the news or read a book. And I want you to listen to what David said. He said, God not, not only knows what you're thinking right now, but He knows what you're about to think before you ever think it. Before it ever comes into your mind. This very second, folks, I want you to get this in, in, your, in your head, down in your heart. This very second, your thoughts are being broadcast in high definition to God. Has it ever occurred to you that you can tell God a secret, but you can't keep a secret from God because He already knows it? But look at verse 3. God also knows where you go. Now, I'm reading out of the NASB. It says, You scrutinize my path and my lying down, And are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Let me read this to you out of the Living Bible. It says, you see me when I travel and when I rest at home, you know everything that I do. So listen to me, friend. Whether you lie down, get up, sit, stand, walk, traveling, God sees you, God knows you. And you know, unlike a fictitious Santa Claus, God really does see you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake. God knows every place you go. God knows everything you do. Every step you take. God knows the what, the when, the where, and the how of everything you do at any given moment. Let me give you another verse. Proverbs 15 and verse 3. says the Lord's watching everywhere, keeping His eye on both the evil and the good. Don't ever think that God ever takes His eyes off of you. He doesn't. God's constantly watching. The Bible talks about the eyes of God searching to and fro in the land, looking for a righteous man. The Bible says that God always knows, God always sees. My granny used to say, my great-grandmother raised me, uh, she used to use that old saying, God sits high and looks low. Nothing escapes him. Reminds me of a story. I, I, maybe you've heard about it. There was a country church having a big church picnic, and at the front of the serving line there was a big basket of red delicious apples. Somebody put a sign on it that said, Take only one, please, God's watching him." Well, at the end of the serving line, there was a big basket of chocolate chip cookies. And one little boy wrote his own sign and put on the cookies. He said, take all these you want. God's busy watching apples. <laughs> well, the truth is, folks, God's busy watching everyone and everything at all times. Finally, look at verse 4. God knows what you say. even before there, Verse 4, even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. That's incredible. God not only knows what you say, He knows what you're going to say before you say it. Think about that. He knows your heart, your mind. He knows your deeds, your words. That's why, look at verse 5. David goes on to say, in verse 5 and 6, You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. You know what he's saying? God, I cannot begin to grasp just how great and how mighty and how awesome you are. God is omniscient. He knows us. He knows everything. But I want to see the second thing. David tells us that that God is omnipresent. Uh, He is with me. No matter where I go, no matter what I I do, no matter where I may be. Listen to the question. Look at verse 7. The question David asked. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? You know, when I read that, I, I thought about the fact God... You can't get away from God. God's everywhere. I thought about the great baseball philosopher, Yogi Berra. He made this great observation one time. He said, you know, I've noticed that everywhere I go, there I am. That's pretty good, isn't it? Well, listen, folks. Everywhere you go, there God is. And unlike us, in reality, listen to me. God never has to go anywhere because wherever anywhere is, God's already there. Death can't take you away from God out of his presence look at verse eight it said if I ascend to heaven you're there if I make my bed in shield uh, that's the grave and I know the King James says hell but Sheol or grave is a better translation if I make my bed in Sheol or the grave behold you are there now Christian listen to me when you go to your grave God's waiting there to take you to heaven matter of fact when you shut your eyes here you're still in God's presence and I believe the Bible teaches that, uh, without a doubt, the Bible teaches that. You know how many funerals I've preached and I've used the passage out of Psalm 116, 15? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Now, you know what that means? That doesn't mean valuable as much as it means carefully attended to and watch after. That means that no Christian ever dies outside of God's presence. No matter where they're at, God is present with them when that happens. And that is exactly what David is telling us. And I'll tell you, death can't take you away from the presence of God, neither can distance. Look at verse 9 and 10 says, if I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. David said, if I could take wings like a bird and fly to the ends of the, the earth, if I could swim like a fish or like a dolphin to the ends of the sea, I would still be in the presence of God. Next time you get on an airplane, if you're like me, and you're flying above the clouds and you don't really like it, I want you to keep in mind, you're still in the presence of God. Let me give you a verse that you can turn to. I want you to think about Psalm 104.3. It says, He makes the clouds His chariot, and He walks upon the wings of the wind. You know how many times that verse went through my head when I've gone on an airplane? You say, you don't like flying? How many times I told you, it's not flying that bothers me. Okay? It's the, the fact that it may not fly that bothers me. Uh, the, fly, the takeoff and the landing aspect's the worst. So listen, death, distance, not separate us from the presence of God. But but David says even darkness can't take you from the presence of God. Look at verse 11 to 12. If I say surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. God's not only got x-ray vision, he's got infrared vision, friend. His eyes of light, uh, they can pierce through the darkness. Uh, That's why nothing can hide you or take you away from the presence of God. There's nowhere to escape. And, you know, I think that a lot of people get the idea, well, I'll just die and and, uh, uh, won't have to worry about God anymore. David said, no, you're still not in the presence of God. I heard one old preacher say it like this. He said, some of y'all need to give your life to Christ because you're going to die soon. And you think that dying is going to get you away from God. He said, let me assure you, you're not going to crawl in the grave and pull the dirt over your face and hide from God. You cannot escape the presence of God. And God told Jeremiah this very thing. Jeremiah 23, beginning in verse 23. He said, am I God who is only in one place? asked the Lord. Do they think I cannot see what they're doing? Can anyone hide from me? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth? asked the Lord. God's so high you can't get over Him. He's so low you're not going to go under Him. And He's so wide you're not going to get around Him. God is always with us because He is omnipresent. God uh, knows everything about us and knows all things because he is omniscient. But also, God helps us. Again, we're going to make this personal. Why? Because God is omnipotent. He can help. The word omnipotent, once again, two Latin words. Omni, which means all. And the word potence, which means powerful. So literally, it means all-powerful. God is all-powerful. There's nothing that God cannot do that does not contradict his word or his character. Now, obviously, folks, there are some things that even God can't do because God's not going to go against his own holy nature, his own holy character, and he's not going to go against his word. But God can. Uh, and think about it. People say things God can't do. Well, God can do no wrong. God can't lie. God can't tempt other people to do wrong. Anything consistent with his character, God can do. And just to illustrate how powerful God is, David does something. And I think this is one of the reasons I love this passage so much. David does something surprising. To talk about the power of God, he doesn't talk about the stars or the sun, the moon, the galaxies, even the universe. He does something uh, that's a little more personal. He brings it home a little bit. He simply points to the human body to prove how powerful God is. You know, we, And there's a lot of times, I, I love to hunt and fish, love being outside. I look at the mountains, the skies, the trees. Yes, I see the power of God and the handiwork of God. But there are times we fail to look at things right in front of us, like our own hands, Like, look in the mirror and look at your eyes. The fact that God created the human body. And that's what David points to. George Gallup, the poster, he once said, I could prove God statistically if I had to. He said, take the human body alone. The chance that all the functions of the individual human being will just happen is a statistical impossibility. David knew when he looked at the physical body that we are a physical miracle created by God Himself. Look at verse 13. He says, for you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. David said, I'm not here because of mother nature. It's not fate. It's not evolutionary chance, Scott. I'm here because you formed me. You covered me in my mother's womb. Now he continues, look at verse 15 and 16. He says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Uh, Another way to translate that skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth is when I was woven together in the darkness of the womb said, your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And then I love this. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none, not one of them. In other words, folks, why worry? Your life's in God's hands. Do you understand what I'm telling you? Every day that you live, God knew you was going to live that day. God ordained for you to live that day. When you put those verses together we just read, the point that's being made is the human body is not an accident that's thrown together. It's a miracle that was put together by God. That's why, look at verse 14. David exclaims, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully, wonderfully made, wonderfully your works, and my soul knows it very well. David said, just look at the human body. And anyone can should be able to look at the human body and know that an all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing God created it. Now, in case you doubt that, let me read you something from science, the world of science. Uh, professor uh, Michael Behe, he wrote a book several years ago. The first uh, published it was in 96. The second one was in 2006. A fascinating book. It's called Darwin's Black Box. Now, uh, Professor Behe, he was the uh, biochemistry professor at Lehigh University. And the book actually is a biochemical challenge to evolution. Now, I want you to listen He shows that just a tiny human cell alone illustrates the unbelievable complexity and wonder of the human body. And it can only be explained by the fact that there was a powerful creator that designed this. I want you to listen to what he says concerning the human cell. He said, shortly after 1950, science advanced to the point where it could determine the shapes and properties of a few of the molecules that make up living organisms. Slowly... Painstakingly, the structures of more and more biological molecules were elucidated, and the way they work inferred from countless experiments. The cumulative results show with piercing clarity that life is based on machines. He's talking about the machine of the human body. Machines made of molecules. Molecular machines haul cargo from one place in the cell to another along highways made of other molecules. Still, others act as cables, ropes and pulleys to hold the cell intact and in shape. Machines turn cellular switches on and off, sometimes killing <coughs> excuse me killing the cell or causing it to grow. Solar powered machines within the body capture the energy of protons and store it in chemicals. Electrical machines allow current to flow through nerves. Manufacturing machines build other molecular machines as well as themselves. Cells swim using machines, copy themselves with machinery, ingest food with machinery. In short, highly sophisticated molecular machines control every cellular process. Thus, the details of life and the human body are finely calibrated and the machinery of life enormously complex. That's from a scientist. That's not a preacher saying that. Think about this, folks. The human body contains over thirty trillion of those cellular machines that I've been reading about. And, and science tells us that the genetic information contained in each cell of the human body is roughly equivalent to a library of 4,000 volumes. So if you were going to catalog all the genetic information in your body, it would take a library big enough to hold 30 trillion times 4,000 books. And we just happened, huh? God had nothing to do with that, right? Yeah, what about, folks? Uh, There's no doubt we are physical miracles. That can only be explained by the awesome power of God. But more than that, do you realize we're also mental miracles? Now, I didn't say mental midgets. I realize some of us, we, we, uh, everybody has the same capacity, but some of us just hadn't plugged into our full capacity. But when I say mental miracles, folks, I want you to listen to what David says in verse 17 and 18 says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Again, I want to tell you, we are always on God's mind. We are always in God's sight. Don't let that word thought pass by. Think about this. Think about the miracles of your mind. Do you realize the information uh, content of the human brain alone is staggering? Scientists scientist tells us that if you took the information in your brain and you wrote it out in English, it would fill 20 million volumes. In other words, every one of us have the equivalent of 20 million books inside our brain. That may be comic books, but we have 20 million books inside our brain. I thought that was amazing. Do you realize uh, also science tells us there's enough atomic power in one human body to destroy the city of New York? In order to build an electronic computer that will do all the human mind can do, and this was from several years ago, they said it would take a building a city block wide, a city block deep, and 22 stories high just to house the computer. Just in our body and our mind alone, we have to know the incredible power of God. And listen, folks, the God that created this miracle is the God that can help this miracle any time this miracle is in trouble. Let me leave you with one last thought here. The great God who created everything that there is, folks, He not only knows you and knows me, and here's a wonderful truth, He not only knows us, but we can know Him. Now, isn't, that, isn't that amazing? The God who created all this made it possible, for who knows us intimately, made it possible for us to know Him intimately as well. And you, and you know how that happens. By placing your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way you come to know God in an intimate way. I heard about an unbeliever who was having fun with a, a Christian that he worked with. And, and this Christian he worked with wasn't the normal, typical what you hear today, run-of-the-mill Christian. This guy was a believer. He was a devout believer. And he was having fun with this Christian. And he said, tell me something. Your God, is your God big or small? The Christian smiled he said, well, he's both. The man said, what do you mean he's both? The believer said, well, my God's so big that this vast universe cannot contain him. But he is so small that he dwells within my heart. Do you want to know how great our God truly is? He's so great that even though he is all-powerful, even though he is all-knowing, even though he is all-present, he can live in your heart through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, folks, I, I, I just wanted to preach this message tonight. Talk about God for a minute because I want you to understand something. When I say that God knows all and he's all powerful and he's ever present, I mean every word that I say. So from that, let me tell you this. All this stuff that's going around the world today and happening here in the United States, this coronavirus and and possible quarantines and all that. Do you think that, that when this all began, God said, ooh, coronavirus, that's a new one. I never heard of that. No, nothing going to take God by surprise. Now, I believe that, that through all this that's going on, I think that God needs his children to be reminded that he's God. That it doesn't just deal with coronavirus, but it deals with nations. His sovereignty deals with countries, with governments. The Bible says he brings them up and he brings them down. He moves them like chess pieces on a chessboard. So with all this going on, folks, don't get distracted of the fact of the God that we serve and the God that we know. The one God, the living God, the sovereign God. And I want you to keep these things in mind. God is sovereign. He created us. That means He knows all about us. He redeemed us. Even though we didn't deserve it, He redeemed us to Himself. Now I'm talking to Christians here. He sustains us. Even, folks, when we forget Him, even when we begin to panic and we, we think that we have to do something to sustain ourselves, God still sustains us. And then the final thing, I want you to remember this. He loves us with an everlasting love. That will never, ever change. Now I've had people ask, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this? What we gonna? Folks, I'm going to tell you what I told you this morning. I'm not going to be concerned with tomorrow till tomorrow comes. And actually, I'm not going to be concerned with it anyway because God's got it under control. All right, we're going to take precautions. We're going to use some common sense like old, uh, uh, who was a Vance the the old mountain preacher, told a bunch of young preacher boys. He said, boys, have some common sense. Use your head. A woodpecker does. That's what we're going to do. We're going to have some common sense in it. But we're not going to fail to realize that God is still in control doesn't matter what happens and it doesn't matter what other countries or governments might think or say that that don't change you know what i get so i get so tickled at people the way they talk about you know doing things the movers motivators and shakers of this world and they talk about power, and they talk about shifting of power, and, and shifting of finances, and this and that. Nothing shifts unless God says so. Nothing. Now, Christian, we need to keep that in mind. Now, we're going to dismiss in a minute, and then we're going to have a time of prayer. The president had asked that, that throughout the nation, this be a national day of prayer uh, concerning the coronavirus, uh, we're going to pray concerning our nation. Uh, I may not be necessarily in line with the, uh, you know, I got a deal from the Baptist Convention about this is how you need to pray. No, I don't think you need to tell me how I need to pray. I'll, I'll pray the way I feel God is leading me to pray. And that's what we're going to do in just a few minutes. Now, I want to encourage you that you pray. You know, I'm often amazed, you know, you hear people, and I preached on this, people say, well, I guess all we can do is pray. Let me tell you something, brother. The first thing you better do is pray. Because what you do is not going to make any difference. What God does, that makes the difference. And you say, well, pray to convince God to do No, no, no. We pray to align our will to God's will. Because whatever God does, that's going to be best. Whether we think it is or not, that does not matter. And you know what? I've learned this. If your will is aligned with God's will, you are going to think it's best, whatever God does. Don't forget, God's in charge. Not the CDC or the WHO or the World Health Organization, the WHO, uh, the government. God's in charge. Ultimately, God is the one that has the final say. And uh, if you don't know him, you need to know him because you need to get on the winning team. Because if you don't know him, you're on the losing team right now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us that uh, you are God and you alone are God. You alone are worthy of our praise and adoration. Father, you uh, you are sovereign over all things. And I pray that, that you'd forgive us for ever doubting that, for ever forgetting that, or for not keeping that in the forefront of our mind during the times that we're facing. Thank you that you loved us, that you redeemed us. And Father, thank you that you still love us and redeem us, even though you know all about us. Father, I pray for those that are here tonight that perhaps they, uh, perhaps they don't have a relationship with you because by faith they've never surrendered their life to your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray they would do that tonight so that they could, could quit just existing and begin to live. Live the life that you've called them to live. Father, I pray that, that we would remember that come what may, that doesn't change who you are. And it doesn't change who we are to You. In Christ's name, Amen. Would you stand, please? We are so concerned about this world. Uh, And you know, uh, all the bad things going on in the world. and, and The world don't know Jesus Christ. We do. And we won't try to blame things on other people. Come on, folks, let's get real about it. The Bible makes it clear, judgment begins at the house of God. As church folks, as God's children, we need to repent. The Bible makes it very clear when God's people will repent, humble themselves before Him and seek His face. God says, I'll hear. I'll hear. We need to do that. That's number one. Then... We need to stand in the gap for those who are attempting and, and, and doing the best to lead our country, and especially through time like this. Our president, uh, those that uh, that lead in, the, in the, the federal, the international, federal, state, local government. You know, there may be a lot of things coming up in the near future. They're going to need wisdom to handle. And pray they'd have God's wisdom, not man's wisdom. <clears throat> and then the third thing, pray that that what's going on with this virus mitigated. But pray that through it, the gospel would go forth. People would see their need for a Savior and would understand how fragile life truly is. Those are just some things that have been on my heart. I would ask you just to bring those before God's throne for just a few moments and then I'll close this out. So let's bow our heads and we'll have a time of prayer before we acknowledge him, again that you're God. That you alone are worthy of our praise and adoration. That you, uh, Father, alone, are the one that we should turn to in times of need. I pray you would impress upon our hearts what we have heard tonight. We would be reminded of of you, of your your greatness, of your power and your majesty. And Father, I want to ask forgiveness. First of all, for the church here in America. God, for the the attitude that we have had for so many years. How we have forgot you. How we have dumbed down our lives uh, for the world so we would not offend people with the gospel. I pray you'd forgive us. Forgive us for God being more concerned about what we can accomplish Instead of relying on you and what you alone can accomplish. Forgive us for living lives that's no different than the world around us. Forgive us for not sharing the gospel with those who are lost and on their way to hell. Forgive us for our arrogance. God, for our stubbornness and our hard-heartedness. I pray as your people in America, we begin to understand that if we are not willing to repent, how can we expect a lost world to receive the gospel? And Father, if we're not willing to, uh, to live as your children, then why would you, we expect you to continue to bless us as your children? And Father, You have, and You have for many years because You are a long-suffering and because You are a gracious and a merciful God. And Father, we also understand that that time is fast and rapidly approaching. As Your Word says, where Your Spirit will not always strive with man. So God, forgive us. Forgive us and set us right first. And then, Father, I pray for those who are, are leading our nation, those who serve this country in that capacity, that, that they would have the wisdom they need for our president, for those in his cabinet, for those that uh, are working uh, on this coronavirus pandemic, that, Father, they would they would understand that no matter how intelligent they may be, no matter how much money they may have, no matter how... Uh, many serums and, and and medications they may employ. It is useless without You. Because You and You alone are the great physician. You can heal uh, without our help. And Father, I ask that You would ha- take, a, take a hand in this situation, in our country and in this world. And that Father, that Your will would be done. And if, if it is indeed that... Uh, uh, the virus be mitigated or be stopped. And Father, I pray You'd be merciful and it would it would happen in a quick manner. But if not, I pray we, as Your children, that Father, we would have the patience, we would have the courage, and we would trust You for the peace that we need to make through this. And Father, I I, I pray that through this Thing that's going on. I pray that souls would be reached for the kingdom. I pray for our missionaries around the world that they would be protected so that they might continue to serve and continue to share the gospel. Father, I pray for uh, our, our churches here back at home. I pray for revival to begin to happen. And I pray that we, regardless what happens, I pray that we would get our lives where it needs to be, in line with You and with Your will. Preachers and and congregations alike. And we would begin to live the life You've called us to live. So that we might show a lost world through this, the love and the grace that You offer. Father, we know from studying Your Word tonight that that it does not matter. The end, uh, what's going to come about in the end, Father, we know what it is. And we know that that as Your children, that the best is yet to come. But Father, between now and then, I pray for that courage. I pray for the repentance first. And I pray for the courage. And I pray for the, the, the spiritual fortitude To keep on doing what we're called to do in the face of adversity. God, we praise You. We realize that in a hundred years from now, if this world's still here, none of us will be. But I pray that each one of us knows beyond any doubt that in a hundred years from now, we'll still be in Your presence. We praise You, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. And you're dismissed. God bless you.